Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. Uh, my next guest today spent 25 years in manufacturing and 12 of these years were in e-commerce companies and they were Fortune 100 companies. So her experience is all about large-scale operations and in electrical industry. So this is a, a niche that she's very experienced in. She's currently the founder and owner of uh, AMZ Tailored, which is an Amazon agency. Uh, but they have an approach to work exclusively with manufacturers who want to sell direct to consumer. And when she's not working, she likes golf, ski, skiing, and also spending time with her family. With that, everybody, meet my guest, Dana Mavros. Uh, welcome to the show, Dana. Hi, how are you today? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm great. So uh, I'm dying to hear your experience when it comes to electrical industry because that's where my engineering degree is so okay. so we studied it uh, it's a it's an it's a it's a niche and it it kind of creates different kind of mindsets in people that work in that industry so it's very analytical so tell me something that you are very good at doing today well, I would say we're good at building empires. That's what we we practice and it's what we preach. So when you are building empires, you know that that this this happens to be one of my favorite lines. <laughs> it ties back to the, you know, you and I discussed that that show Breaking Bad. Right. And uh, you know, it's a great show and he says <laughs> in one of the scenes, uh, I'm not in the med selling business. I'm in the empire building business. So that's right. uh, and and that's what they end up doing, uh, obviously, uh, with the kind of operation. So, yeah, you are uh, building large scale operations. So, tell me, how are you doing that? Well, it starts with you know, it starts with three things, right? And it's pretty repetitive: liquidity, liquidity, liquidity. It's all about money, right? Okay. So, when it comes to liquidity, there are many aspects of this liquidity. So, let's break it down for those who are looking to build, obviously we're talking about not reselling, but building your own private label operation and selling it on Amazon. So how do you go from nothing to building a large scale operation that brings the liquidity to you? Well, when it comes to Amazon, um, you know, there are a lot of manufacturing companies in the U.S. who when they look at their strategy, you know, they traditionally go through traditional channel, wholesale channel, the different channels to market, whether that's wholesale, retail, depends on where their target is. Amazon has become another channel to market. So there are people who in the beginning, you know, shunned Amazon, thought it was the devil incarnate and thought, you know, they shouldn't go there and they'll lose their other customers if they go there. Ironically, you know, I'm old enough, been around long enough that that's what they thought when retail came about. Right when retail came about, when the Home Depots and the um, the Lowe's and the big box stores, whether it was Best Buy, whatever retail channel it was, people thought the traditional methods because they were disruptors would break, and they didn't. Um, there's enough business to go around by channel, 
And Amazon as a channel um, needs to be for manufacturers, one of their key strategic pillars and channel to market, not the only one, right? So if you're a big manufacturer already, you're already growing your business, but you need to reach out to that channel because what's Amazon is expanding in is in the B2B side, they're masters of B2C. Alibaba came about and really focused on B2B business. Amazon really wants to focus on B2B business now too. And so clients, uh, contractors, no matter what it is, whether it's electrical industry, whether it's any industry from tile to plumbing to electrical to you know, universities, schools, hospitals, you name it, they're going to Amazon as a channel to market. And manufacturers in the US in order to continue to invest in NPI and continue to expand, and continue to be viable, it needs to be part of their strategy. So, okay. So we opened the show with the empire building business. Uh, and what we refer to is really building a large scale operation. Right. But really you just highlighted something very valuable, which is very much really overlooked. It's it, People don't really think about it, but that is using Amazon as a B2B marketplace, right? right. That's what you're talking about. So that's yep. number one. Number two is manufacturers typically distribute through a supply chain, right? They don't, right. They don't sell direct to consumer. So right. they distribute through supply chain and that supply chain ultimately sells to the consumer. Now, they are going direct to consumer. So in other words, they are competing with their resellers. They are and they're not. It, it really depends on the product, right? So if you look at Amazon, again, from a manufacturing perspective, um, who goes traditionally to market, that same, let's say, let's talk about the electrical contractor. That same electrical contractor who in the past would go to a counter talk to the counter person or call in and talk to an inside salesperson at a wholesale distributor um, was changing behavior because things were getting crunched from a price perspective and a price pressures and how their own cash flow and how quickly they needed product and supply chain and et cetera. COVID accelerated that, right? So what the B2B side of business has done is the contractor who's going to Amazon, a small contractor is going to Amazon on a B2B side, they're not walking into a wholesale distributor anymore. So that manufacturer who used to get their business through that counter business or the shelf business or that kind of stuff, that they're not, they're not getting that business. That business is a contractor can go on Amazon if you think of contractor buying behavior specifically, and it's true of most professionals. They're, they're, they're running their own small business. At the end of the day, they're sitting and they're trying to figure out what they need for their job the next day to be able to go on Amazon, to be able to order it, to be able to not have their cash flow tied up, to be able to order it a couple of days to have it delivered to wherever they want it delivered, to have delivery be free, to, you know, Amazon actually tracks their, their, um, their invoices for them, gives them 90 days dating if they're a good account. They've basically made it so that those guys can go on there and, and buy things and have buying power. And the B2B business side on Amazon sells in individual units, but in case packs and in pallets. And so they've given it buying power as well, which is true, whether it's a university, whether it's true, it's a hospital, big institutions, because their purchasing agent is still sitting and buying things. But now Amazon is a channel they look at. And the reality is wholesale distributors, 
go and buy what they can't find for their clients, they go on Amazon as a business as well. <laughs> okay. So what, what we're going to do in this episode is we are going to dissect the whole B2B operation because you, first of all, you know the industry very well as far as working with manufacturers that typically work with distributors. Now they are transitioning. So, and this Amazon channel is a very different business model, right? So obviously they are using FBA. They're not doing one, uh, one by one shipping themselves. So, but it's a very foreign operation for them. So uh, I'm sure that a lot of the listeners who are in that space would see great value. So let's start from the top. I want to make, because, you know, a lot of the things are psychology. So when I speak to manufacturers, a lot of the times they say, well, we don't want to be selling direct because then we're going to appear to be competing with the resellers that we have and we don't want to upset them. So you are basically, what I'm hearing you say is that is no longer the mindset because some of those resellers are in fact sourcing on Amazon themselves. Right. I think it's a blended mindset, right? So um, having worked myself in manufacturing and in distribution in the electrical industry. um, So I can tell you when I worked in distribution, when we would have a contractor come to us and they needed whatever they needed, you know, we could get X amount of brands or whatever we get, but let's say we couldn't fill a whole package. We would go look on Amazon on the B2B side to try to get either a particular brand or a particular item that we would then fill out the bill of materials the client needs so that we didn't have to send our our contractor to another distributor, right? So that is a changing mindset. And now that's been happening, I would say, in my experience for the last 10 to 13 years, that's been happening where, and but does everybody know that? Does everybody talk about it? No. Does it happen all day long? Yes. And so, and do maybe the independents do it more than let's say the big national chains, maybe, but they still, at the end of the day, the distributors, the wholesale distributors, they want to take care of their customer and they're going to do it any way they can, right? And if they can't buy a particular brand because they're not authorized for that, sometimes they can go on Amazon and buy it and get it from elsewhere. And so that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is... um, Absolutely. If you're a manufacturer and you go to market through a national distributor chain and you go on Amazon, are they going to give you a hard time? Yes. It's no different than when Home Depot, I'm old enough to have been around. I was part of the team that evaluated if the company I was at at the time should go sell to Home Depot. At the beginning of that, when Home Depot was trying to get major um, manufacturers in to sell to their contractors. And the conclusion at the time was we had made the decision as a manufacturer to go ahead and sell to Home Depot. And the reason was because it was a different channel. Now, there were some wholesale distributor partners that did not believe us and we lost business from. But in the end, it you got past that disruptiveness and obviously Home Depot's here and you can go in and find any name brand in Home Depot that you can find in a wholesale distributor. And so... The idea is that what makes Amazon fascinating is Amazon is all about customer obsession. It's one of the tenets of who they are. So they're going to be obsessed 
with figuring out what that customer needs, whether it's B2C or B2B, and making it as easy as possible to do business with them. So whether manufacturers or wholesale distribution likes it or not, people are going to Amazon. And the people who are going to Amazon aren't necessarily the people that are going to the wholesale people, the wholesale distributors. So it becomes a different market. Wholesale distributors can add value, right? They have engineers, controls, layout. You know, they can do, deliver whole jobs with job packets. They have a place and they have a function. And the better they are, that, that industry is consolidating too. And the good ones are going to stay and add value. But Amazon is a different channel. And sometimes wholesale distributors, they don't want to deal with the small contractors or they don't want to deal with institutions or the payments or the price requirements or, or the shipping or the returns. So Amazon has a market for a reason and Amazon's B2B is growing for a reason. The statistics are globally B2B businesses over $12 trillion. So this mm -hmm. is a growing market and it is a disruptor, but again, it's the rule of thirds. A third of everybody gets on board right away, a third waits and see, and a third never adapts. Um, I would say we're kind of in that stage where that initial third of getting on board is, is there, and then the next third of getting on Amazon from a B2B perspective, we're about to really start that. Yeah. From my, no, from my perspective. I, I, I agree with you. So, you know, this is a, this is a, this is a tidal wave coming. So right. you can try and fight it, mm -hmm. try to push it back. It's not going to, you're not going to succeed. So right. this is where it's going. And I tell you the reason why, and this goes way back to the beginning of the internet and uh, Steve Jobs' proposition to the music industry where things became movements. What I'm talking about is, why did so many people embrace using the internet at the very beginning? Because it offered convenience. And why did music industry, after fighting Napster, suddenly embraced iTunes? Because it made it convenient and it made people money. So Amazon B2B marketplace is the fastest growing marketplace in the world because they are really putting a lot of effort and marketing dollars and in the process offering anything that makes it convenient for the B2B customer. And those people that you mentioned, you know, hospitals, contractors, and they, are, they don't, nobody has the time to go shop anymore. Right. Uh, everybody wants to look at stuff online. And those people ultimately are buying not necessarily large volumes like big companies would do. They don't have a negotiation you know, power or anything like that. But Amazon offers business customers terms and right. you, you get deals and things like that. So, so bottom line, the point that we are both making is this is something you have to get on board with. So anybody who is selling a B2B product, you need to either be in that one third already doing something or those who are thinking, reach out and do something about it because otherwise you'll be left behind. And those who are left behind, either they'll never catch up and they'll die or it's going to be a lot more expensive to get started when it's the right time. Uh, I want to also give you one other point uh, that, that supports this. It's not necessarily just B2B. 
it's a known fact at this point that anybody, anytime learns about a product, they Google it. Right. And all the product searches on Google are served by Amazon. If you have a brand, B2B brand, B2C brand, doesn't matter. Those brands that are on Amazon brand registry will be presented in those search results. Right. If you're not even in Amazon brand registry, right. you don't exist. Your credibility is gone. It's like going way back 20 years. What did we think about a company that didn't have a website? Right. And what at the very beginning, it was new. And when somebody had a website, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a new thing. But today, you want to look at the company's website. If they don't even have a website and they're using a Gmail address, then you say, this is a Mickey Mouse operation. Right. So you've got to be on Amazon. Okay. So, well, and, and I would add to that, Nick, and I would say that the other piece of that is a lot of times large manufacturing companies say, well, part of how they project their wholesale channel is they say, oh, we're not on Amazon. And then they'll go, and they're like, oh, well, if you find us on Amazon, those are just like resellers and stuff. And so we're not on Amazon. But what's what's not what's wrong about that strategy is there are major brands who are doing millions of dollars on Amazon. But what it is, is it's all the resellers and why that's bad for the brand is because they can't control the pricing and what they don't tell the story or they're afraid to tell the story to wholesalers. So they don't realize the story, which is the truth, is that. If that brand were to go and actually register with Amazon and get rid of all those hijackers, they would better control the pricing per their channels. So the biggest issue with wholesale distribution is, you know, they need to have enough margin. So when they're selling, you know, they can't be undercut by Amazon or online pricing or whatever else. And so the idea is that you can successfully be a manufacturer, create your pricing structure in a way that you can be on Amazon and serve your wholesale um, your wholesale clients and and but allow wholesale to make margin that are good partners of yours. But you can't if you're not controlling your brand. And what they don't realize is when they're not controlling their brand, that's when they get hurt. And they think it's a it's a hall pass to say, oh well, that's not us, it's the resellers. But that actually hurts their wholesale distribution worse, their channel worse, because the pricing is all over the place. Once they get control of their brand, get rid of the hijackers, they and stay in a 3P account or a seller account, they then control their pricing on Amazon and it actually makes them more powerful to be on Amazon and actually protects their wholesale distributors more. And they don't understand that. Well, I mean, you touched something so sensitive as yet your traditional companies don't really understand this very well. And that is content. Pricing is the ultimate result of it. Uh, but in this day and age, 21st century, everything is about content, right? So if you ever go to, for example, let's say you're going to become an Apple distributor, right? So when you sign an agreement to be their distributor, let's say, hypothetically speaking, I don't know if they accept distributors or I don't know that part of it, but let's assume that you're going to carry Apple products <laughs> And you're going to promote Apple products and represent their brand in some capacity. They're, they make you sign a zillion things about what logos to use, right. how you can use them, how you cannot use them, uh, and so on and so forth. So, 
And any manufacturer, any any brand owner does this. So I'm giving Apple as an example because Apple, everybody knows. Uh, but any brand owner does this with their resellers. This is how you use our right. representation. However, when it comes to Amazon, any reseller can create a listing just by submitting a UPC. They right. disclose who the brand is, so they're not right. doing anything wrong. But the point is, at that point, who has control over the listing? Yeah, you the, know the brand does? owner does not. The individual does. And that's well, the you, know, you know who has control over it? Nobody. Right. So that is where this concept, and I learned about this, and we actually exploited it. When I was an Amazon seller, we exploited it. I'll tell you how in a second. But uh, what happens is, if the brand owner is not on Amazon, it's not on Amazon brand registry, and they do not have ownership of the listing, mm -hmm. then whoever creates the listing mm -hmm. by simply submitting a UPC for it, which doesn't exist right. on Amazon system, it will get assigned uh, an ASIN, and that's yeah. it. Now you've got a listing. So, But who has ownership over it? There is a concept called merchant of authority. Right. Merchant of authority means that whoever is doing the most sales on a listing suddenly is assumed to be the authority on it. Right. And therefore, they can change content. Right. And guess what? Do they care about the content? No, they care about the sales. So they undercut the price. They set the price anything they want. They put right. any content. They put all the old pictures, which yep. trigger negative feedback because... You know, this is the complaints coming. Oh, this is not the item I bought, blah, blah. So, and who does it hurt in the long run? It hurts the brand, right? So right. that's the, so the bigger aspect of it to me is that listing needs ownership. And if the brand is not on Amazon, it will have no ownership. And therefore the brand will be hurt yep. because anybody and everybody will be able to just submit anything under that listing, starting from the price all the way down to the pictures and the specs. Uh, it will be misrepresented uh, deliberately or without realizing. And in the end, it's not going to work anyway. So anybody who has a brand, B2B space, get on Amazon brand registry, open your seller account and, and start doing something. Otherwise, somebody else will. And then you'll get hurt. Yeah, and, and, and the other piece too, and you you touched on it, Nick, is the whole piece about the quality. So if someone's basically reselling your product, you don't know if it's been, it was on a discontinued shelf. You don't know if like, you know, you you tried to off off sell it in a lot or wherever it is. So you don't know if the quality, if it's dated, expiration date, depending on what it is. And so then they're shipping it out with your name on it and it actually hurts your brand even more from that perspective. Yeah. So, okay, so let's now... Uh, move on to the next step where they are creating, they decided, okay, we're going to be on Amazon. So how does one go about starting their B2B operation on Amazon? The The first thing is signing up as a seller, but is yeah. there anything special that they need to do because they are a B2B seller? So, you know, on Amazon, so B2B, B2C, there's not like there's two separate, right? So it's it's one ASIN, right? You can, it's, it's shown on both sides. But what, but what's different, you know, if you log in on the B2C side versus log in on the B2B side. So on the B2B side, um, if you know it or don't know it is, there's no PPC, right? So 
the way a, the business person comes into the B2B side is you start sorting by what you need, right? So you need, you know, case pallet, case, case quantity or a pallet. You need, um, you maybe, you know, you want to buy local. Maybe you want to buy local something. Maybe you want to buy from small business. Maybe you want to buy from minority business, a female, but whatever you want, whatever the requirements are, you need a government. You need to be able to have, you know, maybe you're being funded, your university, hospital, something where you're funded by the government. You need to make sure that that seller can sell, you know, to government or et cetera. So um, what's neat about the B2B side is, is the credentials are different. So you can go and get badges. Badges are a good thing to get. And it's, um, it's something that differentiates you because as a buyer going in there, I can pick, hey, I want a small minority business or I wanted government or whatever. And so what happens is as a seller on that side, if you don't, if you don't making sure you're paying attention to all these things that you can get, you'll automatically just won't even come up in the search, right? Because so the person is narrowing their search when they come in and um, you want to make sure the more they narrow it, that you're going to come up because there is no PPC on the B2B side. So um, one, you want to make sure you go into your account and you, if you qualify, you get your government, um, I think it's at 889 um, that you get that so that you can sell to anyone who is, has funding from the government. So you want to definitely do that. And you can do that through your Amazon account. So Amazon makes it easy for you to do that. Um, the other thing is you do want, yeah, it's 889, sell the government on Amazon is what the, the number is. So you want to make sure you go see if you qualify and that you can do that. And, you know, one of the key things is you want to make sure that you're, you price out a case pack and a pallet, right? Because if it's a bigger institution buying it, if it's, um, you know, depending on what they want to do, if you only have a lot of people put their listing on the B2C side, and then they put the toggle saying, okay, B2B is fine too, but they only have a single unit um, price, you know, you can only price this pen. So when anyone's searching on the business side, they're never going to see your product. Because you're not, they're, the first thing they're going to click is case and palette, right? They're not going to click single unit, right? So that's kind of something that people need to know. And the thing is, is on the business side, you also have pricing tiers, right? So obviously, in theory, just like you would go to a wholesale or anything else, the more you buy, the more it should be discounted. So part of what you need to really think about when you go to create a strategy and build your empire from a pricing perspective is you've got to think, what are all your channels to market and how should something be priced? One, you should know your cogs, right? And you should know if you're competitive or not. Two, you need to know, like, you know, what is wholesale if that's your channel need to sell it? What does retail need to sell it? So what can you sell on Amazon? And you should kind of know up front what the market is for your, your pricing. The other really neat thing is on the B2B side is someone can ask for a quote. So they actually have a button. So you they can reach out and they can ask for a quote on something. So Sometimes people will be required to get three quotes in order to, you know, if they're using federal money or they're doing something, so they'll ask for a quote. So you always want to be competitive when you do that and know that that's a captured piece of business. So if someone's asking for a quote, that means they picked you. You may not be the only one, but they picked you to get a quote from. So you need to have someone paying attention to that and be able to respond and know how to do that. Um, the neat thing on the B2B side too is you can load specifications. You can load all the things that make your product special so that when someone is going to look at your product there, they have the additional information you don't need on the consumer side. So if it is, you know, electrical or more engineered product or more specifications, or it has um, special standards and codes that it meets, 
putting all that in there is going to differentiate you as well. Okay. So there is so much that you said. Um, I want to make sure that uh, people understand the pieces because every one of these pieces as moving parts, they make an impact in, in the results. So um, the first one is the 8089. So tell us a little bit about that. So that basically says that you are authorized to sell to the government, if any right. government organization. Right. And and you and that's something you arrange inside Seller Central, where you, you need to reach out to seller support, or how do you get that? No, it's in your account. So um, forgive me for not knowing exactly where to go find it, but in your seller account, you can go into your seller account and they've Amazon's actually made it easy for you to go in and then read the requirements to be able to sell to the government. And then if you meet the requirements, you can fill it out and, and basically sign that you meet the requirements to sell to the government um, through Amazon. And so then you get an 89 designation on your list, you know, in your listing so that when on the business side, if someone says, I need to buy this pen and it needs to have an 889, then they click 889 and then that pen will come up. So, and then anything that doesn't have the 889 will not come up in the search on the business side. Okay. And so it, if you think about it, right, anything that's federally funded sometimes has a requirement um, uh, for uh uh, where government money spent and, and that they have certain certifications, right? So just like it could be minority, it could be different requirements when you're using federal funds, whether it's a university, a hospital, anything that has federal government money, there's different mm -hmm. requirements sometimes. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is, this. I'm hearing two things, I think, but I, I want you to clarify. First of all, you have to get your seller account approved for this and then make, get your seller account set up. And then also you need to make the item did this disqualification part of the item record? Is that the case? No. So it's very simple. All you do is go into your seller account and you then look at what the requirements are for the particular product you're going in that you sell because different products probably have different uh, requirements. Um, and so you go into your seller account for what you sell and it's going to tell you if you qualify for the 889. And if you do, it's going to walk you through exactly what to do you sign and then it's in there. You don't have to do anything else. It's Amazon, Amazon has it in your seller account to do it. Okay, cool. So the other thing you mentioned is the badges. So I happen yep. to, actually I had a, a, a guest on the show. She was a seller, but she was very smart. And she also advised other sellers that she was talking about the small business badge and it had just come out. So that, obtaining that small business badge gave her a lift in her conversion. Mm -hmm. So yep. that's one of the badges. And there are other badges because as you deal with, again, government uh, organizations, the, there are there are incentives to buy from women-owned, minority-owned, and, and so on and so forth. So Amazon offers badges to identify those, right? So right. you want to apply for those. So that's the other thing. Okay. One thing, though, I did not quite understand when you mentioned there is no ppc mm -hmm. why do you say there is no ppc because there is a listing and as far as i know if there is a listing you can run a ppc ad on the b2b side there is no ppc you cannot so you can't you 
on the B2C side there is, but on the B2B side, the, the your listing shows up in both places, right? So um, you put a listing up, it shows up in both places if you hit the toggle button, right? So on the B2C side, you can be paying for PPC, advertising, sponsor, anything you're gonna do, which is gonna do your organic and your sponsored rankings. You know how all that works. And so, yeah. but on the B2B side, you cannot go and pay on the B2B side, PPC money, to rank, it's not doesn't work that way. It works by, it works by all this other stuff. It works by the B two B person goes in and says, "I would like to buy from a small female owned business with an eighty to nine certification, and um, I need to buy in case quantities, and I need to buy these pens." And so that search criteria is what's going to pull this up. It's not PPC money. So how does the Amazon algorithms decide which pen is going to show up at the top versus at the bottom? I do not know the answer to that question. I just know that the more specific, the more badges, the more um, credentials you have, the more your your uh, you you follow the case, the palette, the badges, the the eighty eighty nine. The more stuff you have the more you are going to be found. And uh, so, not a little bit like magic sauce right now. There's not a lot of information on why this pen will be the first versus the other three. So, but you can't pay to make it first. So as far as, okay, so there is the direct and indirect impact, right? So when you pay PPC on the B2C side, all, all you are doing is, Based on your bidding, your listing appears at the top with the tag sponsored above it. Mm -hmm. uh, however, if you also achieve a good rank yep. for that particular keyword that's just been searched yep. organically, it's going to show up organically also at the top. Right. So uh, I'm sure that you know, you've seen many listings where you do a search and the same listing comes up and says sponsored at the top and right underneath is organic. Right. So uh, what we are talking about is anybody who is searching for a B2B product will not see the sponsored listings, but right. they will see the organic listings under it. Right. Well, guess what gets you that organic rank? P running PPC ads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know how well that ties into, or if they're getting. It'd be great. We should, we should, you know, as as Amazon's investing more and more on the B two B side, you know, maybe they'll still share more and more of the secret sauce, right? Um, it could be, or could it be that because you know you are one of those people who always bids well and always has good product and people buy it and the organic ranking is based on you know how many successful deals you close or how many quotes you get. I mean, they could be doing that organic ranking on the B2B side by a whole different set of parameters. Well, right? yes. The, 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 okay, so there's, there's one thing that I know that on Amazon, it's all about how the product is ranking for specific keywords and right. what is the bestseller rank that they achieved in that category and so on and so forth. And all this ties back to, so what's the Amazon, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that Amazon mm -hmm. is customer obsessed. So they care about customer experience. So what is a good customer experience, B2B or B2C? Customer comes to Amazon website 
and they do a search mm -hmm. and they want to show products that are relevant to that search, the most relevant from the most reputable sellers that are the most reputable listings. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? Reputable means high product rating. The, the, you know, if you have five-star rating on your product, and many reviews and blah, blah, they, you're going to rank up. Uh, if the, as your seller account has 100% uh, rating as a seller, then mm -hmm. you're going to appear as a seller. So all those things basically say, you know, low refund rate and so on and so right. forth. All those things simply imply that if you buy this product, first of all, it's relevant to your search. Second, you're going to be buying a good product right. from a good company. So now take away the B2B uh, aspect. This, this is what it is. When you add the B2B, this is still the model that Amazon operates by. The only thing is it doesn't show the paid listings. However, how you get to the paid listing, I mean, how you get to be the high ranking listing comes down to how much traction you had for specific keywords. So if you bid on a specific keyword and you've successfully sold X number of units, well, guess what? Amazon doesn't discriminate. You got so many sales from PPC. So they simply look at, okay, what is your performance? If the performance was not good, you will get a refund anyway as a customer. And then you'll leave your feedback that will reflect it. So therefore, not directly, but indirectly, you have to use PPC in order to accumulate enough ranking with the right keyword targeting strategy so that take away the paid ads, you'll still show up as a high ranking listing. That's my take. Yes. And however, if, if the person who the buyer on the B2B side is a buyer, right? So different audience goes in and let's say you're the best at pens on the B2C side and you have all that you just said and you're the best paid and the best sponsored and the best organic and everything else, but you don't have an 889 designation. Oh, absolutely. That buyer yeah. needs that. You're yeah. not going to show up. Or let's right. say that buyer wants to buy from a small female owned business. You're not right. going to show up. So that's what I mean by you can't pay to be there. You, it's more than just that, right? It's 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 diversifying and looking at the B2B differently to say the consumer wants, you know, a healthy Amazon account. They want their products for the price they want it, when they want it, they want it delivered on time. You know, basically Amazon's a logistic company, right? So they deliver to the consumer what they want, when they want it, the price they agreed to, right? So that's what logistics right. is. Yeah. So um, that's great. But on the B2B side, you have to do all this other stuff too to even show up in the search. You could pay all the money in the world, but if you don't, if that buyer needs small business or minority owned or a government designation or wants to buy by the pallet and you don't have that on your listing, you're not even going to show up in the search. Okay. I'm glad you, you, and uh, that's, that's, that's the next thing that I wanted to dissect with you a little bit because uh, at the end of the day, you're selling a product, the right. pen. Let's take the pen example. Now, the pen, no B2B customer is going to be interested in buying onesies, twosies. Right. They are interested in packs, bundles, and, and things like right. that. 
So cases, pallets, or whatever. Uh, so what is the right way to create this? So in your case, when you work with your clients, do you mm -hmm. create one parent and under that parent, you have variations showing the single as well as the case and the palette? Or do you create each one as a separate listing? No, it would be, it'd be single case and palette because what will show up on the B2B side is they'll all show up, the single case and palette. But the, the case and palette is how they're going to sort on the, on the B2B side. Right. Okay. So that also ties back to how I usually ask people, look, if you're going to, first of all, again, going back to the best customer experience model, right? So what another thing that makes the experience great is getting great value. So value usually comes from bundling and creating these cases and packs that offer a much, much lower unit price, except that you have to buy more. So, uh, you know, more in terms of quantity. Uh, so people are fine with it. Say, so, okay, you know, if it's something that they use regularly, they'll buy a caseload or whatever. Uh, in fact, Amazon introduced these virtual bundles. Right. That without physically having to create those, you right. can now virtually do it. But that's a different conversation. Uh, but so the point here is, there is one listing and under that one listing, you have the cases and the pallets listed. And of course, when somebody is searching that, uh, whatever the search is, that, that pen for from small business, uh, qualified businesses, then your listing will come up. But ultimately it's that one listing that governs all those different variations which gives you the advantage that you only have to promote the main one, right? So you don't have to promote. So all these things are the nuances of it. Uh, so let's uh, also talk about the tiers a little bit because some people may not know this. So how do you set up your tiered pricing on Amazon? Well, so if you're gonna launch a new product on Amazon, um, one of the things we really try to do is educate people on you know, when you're going to launch something brick and mortar, or you're going to, you know, if you're going to have a retail store, you really do your financials up front. And you really know what your COGS are, you know, how much everything costs, what your profit is, you know, truly what you're, what you're going to make in cash at the end of the day. We, we started by talking about liquidity, right? right? Amazon, people don't do it. It's kind of interesting. They kind of just throw things on Amazon and they miss the whole part that you really need to look at it like a dollar and say, you have a dollar bill. So if your COGS are 25 cents and, um, you know, the cost to be on Amazon is, you know, 35 cents and, um, you know, what's your shipping cost and, and et cetera. So you go at the end of the day, you're going to make 10 cents on every dollar. And is that okay? And um, that's where we kind of start when we talk about how do you launch something? How do you put something on Amazon? How do you set up your pricing? You start with saying, okay. So are you selling already to wholesale? Are you selling in retail? You know, what's your map? What is your strategy for that? And you go to that to say, okay, here's what we have to do for tiers. Because if you're going to be on the B2B side, you need a case price, you need a pallet price, and then you need, if they want to hit a quoted price. And so there's three price tiers on Amazon. So single unit, case, pallet, let's say, for example, and then quoted price. 
So you have to build your strategy, your pricing strategy, so that at the end of the day, you're making money and you're taking in consideration you're on Amazon. So, you know, what does it cost on Amazon? Average 35% to 35 cents on every dollar to be to to do business on Amazon. So um, that's kind of how you look at it, right? And you have to make sure your cogs are good enough to go on Amazon, right? Because not every product, not every manufactured product, you know, if a manufacturer has 3,000 products, maybe, you know, 200 of them would be really good on Amazon. Not all of them would be necessarily. So, so when you are dealing with businesses traditionally as a B2B customer, yep. your, your prices are generally FOB, right? So you give yep. them a price and then they pay the shipping. When a business customer buys on Amazon, mm -hmm. is that still prime or do they pay the shipping? No, it can still be prime. Okay. So that means that you have to know what, because that means you are paying the shipping now, right? right. So that yeah. needs to be factored into your pricing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, 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 one other nuance, I think it's it's important to clarify. Selling single units, case packs, and pallet loads. These are individual listings with their own UPCs, with their own ASINs, right? So this is not necessarily a, a giving a break on the price based on buying caseload, buying pallet load. This is, in fact, what you are doing is you are ahead of time. You are saying, okay, I'm going to create three listings, all of which are under one parent. And that the listings will say one of them is single. The other is case load that contains 24 pieces. You're going to issue a UPC to that case. And then get an ASIN. And then the same thing for the pallet. The pallet is going to have, I don't know, 144. And then you're going to have a UPC for them. When you ship to Amazon, if you ship three pieces of the pallet load, uh, SKUs, you are, in fact, shipping three times 144. But Amazon will take that as three pieces, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the thing is, is that the case and the pallet price doesn't show up on the B2C side. It shows up on the B2B side. Right. 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 So it doesn't show up on the B2C side. So well, that's where it, you, it shows up. You can create them as variations and then it will still show up. You can, or you can keep them so that they don't show up. Yeah, you can do it either yeah. way. And, and, and going back to your question about the shipping, you know, FOB versus Amazon, it can go either way there too, right? So it depends on if you ask for a quote, depends on all that. So when you do your pricing, you have to include the shipping as well, right? Because if you're, you can do B2B as FBA or as FBM. So, you know, if it's like really heavy material, it doesn't make sense to have it stored at Amazon. You're going to have it in your own manufacturing right. facility and ship it from your own manufacturing facility. So you need to know how much it costs to ship a pallet, you know, if you're in Texas to California or New York. So yeah. that's all part of when you look at pricing strategy. Yeah. And one thing that I always recommend people to do is, look, create one parent listing offer the single and the case, and then based on your historical data, just send enough inventory to Amazon to be fulfilled as FBA item. But right. the big ones listed as FBM. Yep. And then look at your historical data. Once you build enough FBM history, you can also send that uh, to Amazon for it because FBA will always be cheaper. And then you, know, you can do LTL loads and things like that. So make your shipping... Uh, because ultimately, companies that have this 
tra distributed traditionally through a supply chain, they don't like the one Z to Z business. Right. They want to ship in bulk. So yep. you can do the, the exact same model on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So, okay, this is, Dana, this is, we've never discussed this before. You're providing so valuable information. And, and frankly, you know, I always admire those entrepreneurs that come up with a great product idea and then create it and trademark their brand and start selling on Amazon. And then next thing is they sell their Amazon account because they sell the brand and then move on to the next thing. That's great business. But what you are talking about is manufacturers who have been in business for a long, long time and hopefully will be in business for many, many years to come. Now here is a channel. You've got to expand into this channel. And, and as yet, there is only a small percentage of these companies taking advantage of it, mainly because, A, they are not aware of it. Uh, B, they don't know how to go about it. So, and they're afraid. And they're afraid it'll hurt their traditional business, right? Because it's it's disruptive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disruptive these days is the thing to embrace. <laughs> so It doesn't uh, no matter, mitigate that there's fear still, but yes. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, at some point, uh, it, it's... It's unfortunately, it's one of those things. If you do it too early, it may hurt you a little bit. If you do it too late, it will hurt you anyway. So it's when, when is the right time? So it's always one of those things. Let's now talk about the, the operational aspect a little bit, the, the financial, the management of it. So again, traditionally, somebody places an order, they'll ship it, they'll invoice it, it's done. And then they give their credit terms. That's not how Amazon works, right? So they are, in fact, when they ship inventory to Amazon, it's an FBA shipment. So they're not selling. There's no invoice. Right. Uh, and then as yet, orders are coming in. And the right. chances are they won't be receiving just B2B orders. They'll receive right. uh, B2C, B2B. Right. Uh, that means there are two settlement dates, right? So one is for standard orders. The other is for invoiced orders. Right. So... Tell us about the, the operational aspect of how they manage that. Um, well, it's still their seller account, right? So it's not that much more complicated from that perspective. Um, it's still their seller account. Obviously, in your seller account, you know, you get you get paid every two weeks, right? So um, it it uh, it doesn't complicate it that much more. You could just you can actually see what's B two B versus what's B two C. You can see what's in both. Um, it, it doesn't make it, the more complicated your business is, the more you have, the more is FBA versus FBM, the more um, ASINs you have, the more complicated it gets. But it's, I guess I don't know how to say this without saying it. It's, it's um, if you know how to manage and maneuver Amazon, it's not that much more complicated, right? Because it's still Amazon and it's still the same system. Does that make sense? Yeah. It doesn't yeah, yeah. make it, it's not like they reinvented it for the B2B side. It's It's still the same system is the same Amazon, you know, Amazon in and of itself is difficult to navigate. And if you're not used to it in terms of where to find things and how to reconcile your invoices and how to, you know, find, you know, misshipments and just all the things you deal with with Amazon, Amazon itself is complicated. But if you understand how it works and you're dealing with it anyway, it's, it doesn't matter if it's B2C or B2B. Yeah. So this sense. is, this is what I tell people and tell me if you agree. So I say, look, if you are a company that's been manufacturing your own products, it's your brand, you've got to be on Amazon, and now you decided you want to be on Amazon. 
don't go doing it yourself. Hire an expert yeah. because Amazon platform is very complex platform. They have a lot of policies and procedures, but most important, a lot of moving parts. You are not going to invoice Amazon anything when you ship something to Amazon. Right. You are going to have to have a very tight inventory management control system. You are going to have to have a very comprehensive accounting system that will separate standard invoices where you ship something to a customer and then you invoice it versus you ship, uh, you send the shipment to Amazon as an inventory transfer because it's your inventory sitting somewhere else. And then when that gets sold, you are only going to invoice for what was sold. It's a very complex thing. So don't go doing it yourself. Hire somebody to put an infrastructure in place. There are many ways to do it. Uh, if you already have an ERP system, you can integrate your ERP. If you don't, then uh, you, need to, you need to consider the systems aspect of it because otherwise the danger is you're not going to know your numbers. You're not going to know your numbers on how much money you're making. You're not going to know your numbers on what inventory you're holding. And without those two, then you don't know what you're doing. So uh, it's very important. Um, just as you put it, if you already know how to navigate Amazon, you'll figure it out. But most of these people don't. Right. They just know how to buy from Amazon as a customer. Right. Uh, but uh, operating it is, is, uh, is very tough. So this is... Um, I mean, like like I mentioned, we've done, in fact, my team today said that today is February 7th. We published our 100th episode today, but we've got another 20 or so recorded waiting in the pipeline. And all these episodes, we never discussed this. Really? So wow. You, you shared very valuable information. So I want to thank you for this. And of course, we just scratched the surface. There's a lot of moving parts. So anybody who wants to know more can reach out to you and, and definitely uh, learn more. So enough with the business talk. So let's <laughs> now learn a little bit about you. So when I introduced you, uh, I introduced you as someone who loves golf and skiing and, uh, and your family. So tell us first about your origins where did you uh, grow up and and share with us your life experience a little bit sure so I grew up in Chicago so um, actually in the suburbs of Chicago and then moved in the city to go to college in Chicago when I was 17 so um, you know born and bred there moved out to California about four years ago um, quite frankly to get out of the winter <laughs> I'd lived here for work over the years but um, so yeah Chicago native Cubs fan um, Took a long time to finally win our World Series, but we finally did. So big sports fan. Um, being growing up in Chicago, you have to be a big sports fan. Um, yeah, you know, it's. Uh, but I mean, I you, are, you are setting an example as a woman entrepreneur. I want to know where this entrepreneurship came from. Well, you know, it's funny you said that because I really wish someone would have told me when I was 30 years old that women could be entrepreneurs because it's such a unique world and it's not talked about because it's not the traditional career path, right? So, um, you know, I, you know, went to college to get a good job to, um, you know, have a career, right? And you think a career is in business and, 
you know, I worked for Fortune 100 and 500 companies and came through the corporate ranks and, um, you know, was promoted and worked hard and, and um, you know, dedicated, you know, kind of my life for a long period of time to work um, and never knew it was an option because, you know, in the corporate world, you don't hang out with entrepreneurs, right? You may call on people like contractors or or designers or engineers or architects that have their own firms or, you know, wholesale distributors that might be family businesses that are entrepreneurial or independent, but you don't, but, but a lot of times they're family businesses or it's an architect where you think, okay, well, that's a skill. So it makes sense. They have their own firm. So it wasn't until, you know, I started kind of doing more and more business and sort of consulting and, and really started um, learning more and more about business as I got older, that, that I started meeting entrepreneurs as my network expanded and it was like well that's kind of interesting well well that's kind of interesting the way they think oh well they're a little different and um you know I finally uh in 2016 um decided I had been in corporate America my whole life that I was gonna do something different and see if there's anything else out there um you know went into business for myself um did some franchising um did some consulting you know, just kind of like what else is out there and started meeting these great entrepreneurs and realized like there is an entire world out there that I really didn't understand or really didn't know. And, um, you know, part of my mission is going to be to work with women to say, you know, I, I meet some of these young women who are entrepreneurs in some of these organizations now, but it's a very small percentage. And they'll be like, what do you think? You know, I'm working for this person. You think I could do my own thing? And they're like 28. I'm like, yes, go do it now. Because I wish I had done it way earlier because um, it's amazing. It's fun. It's amazing. It's energizing. It's um, empowering. And it. We. I want to teach my daughter that, yeah, there's traditional ways you can go, but there's also other ways you can go too. And there isn't, you know, I think the generation, I don't know how generationally it changes, but you know, I'm kind of in that gap generation that, you know, um, there was kind of a way you're supposed to do things, right? You're supposed to go to college and get a job and work your way yeah, up I mean, and that's take a living and that's what you're so supposed to do, right? And so the idea to like take risks and fail and that failing is good, that's that's kind of come in my generation and and maybe the generation after me where it's it's saying, you know, John Maxwell's famous book, which is failing forward. It's like, if you interview anybody and they tell you they haven't failed, you don't want to hire them because that means they haven't learned anything. Right. And the more you fail, the better you are. Well, in the beginning of my career, when I failed, I was ashamed and embarrassed and thought, you know, I was a horrible person because I made mistakes. Now I'm like, every one of those failures is what's made me successful now. And, and I'm proud to share them, but not enough people are because- oh. Because society says it's not cool to fail. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll sit. People are like, how are you so good at different things? I'll be like, because I've made a lot of mistakes. And I've yeah. failed a lot at a lot of things. Well, and you know, you know, they asked uh, Edison, uh, I think it's Edison. Uh, why do you keep trying this 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 bulb business? You know, you, right. you failed maybe at least 100 times. Right. And since no, 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 I didn't fail hundred times. I yeah. just figured out hundred ways of not to do this. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. exactly. So I have a question yeah. for you. 
Do you think entrepreneurs are born or bred? That's a great question. Um, I think it's a combination of both. I think there's something inherently in people's nature and personality that would make them more comfortable being an entrepreneur. But I think that sometimes we try to put everything in a box and and they may not become an entrepreneur because they don't know it's an option when they naturally could be. I think there's people that are naturally entrepreneurs and I think there's people that probably can adapt to be an entrepreneur if they know what it is. I mean, I don't know if you know the EOS model, which is, yes. um, yeah, the EOS model. So if you look at a visionary and an integrator, you know, some people are natural visionary entrepreneurs and some of those people, you know, they may be born that way, right? They're never gonna fit in a box. They're kind of like an amoeba. They see things differently but they need an integrator. And it, people who are integrators are more disciplined and SOP driven and everything else. And those people wouldn't think they could be an entrepreneur. They think they would need more structure or corporation or whatever, but they don't realize they can, they can have those integrator skills and be that person and still be an entrepreneur. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I hear you, but respectfully, I'm not buying it. You know why? Okay. <laughs> the reason why I'm not buying it is because I know exactly the, the integrators and the visionaries, and I know and I know people. I'm sure you know people. Some of those people could never be an entrepreneur because you they need an idea, they need something to apply their skills and expertise to. They cannot come up with it. So, uh, I, yes, through nurturing some entrepreneurs. Yep. would become real entrepreneurs. Otherwise right. they would be, just, but you've got to have it inside of you. Right. If you don't have it inside of you, it's not going to go anywhere. So therefore, ultimately, when you bring it right down to the core of it, entrepreneurs, yeah. in my opinion, they are born. Mm -hmm. They have to be born first in order to be nurtured. You can't be nurturing. I mean, you, you, you nurture, you know, unfortunately, some people cannot have, babies right so it doesn't matter how much nurturing it's it's you have to use artificial methods or whatever right. so like that so you have to have it you have to have that risk-taking uh, capability you have to have that uh, uh, resilience for roller coaster rides right. <laughs> life is always up and down and up and down and when it's up uh, you know, it's good, but you know it's coming. Or when it's up and it's too comfortable, you shake yeah. the boat, right? So you rock yeah. the boat. So, I, so that's an entrepreneur. Integrators will never become that. They need somebody. And there's a, there's room for both. Right. Entrepreneurs alone are very bad operators, as I'm right. sure you know. Right. <laughs> so, that's so. what I mean is that I, I think there's a lot of people. I don't think there's a lot. I think visionaries, True visionaries are born. I agree with you on that. But I think that there are a lot of people that can be integrators and work with a visionary and own part of a company and be part of that yes. and be part of the visionary, but they don't see that they can as an option. Yes. Like yes. they don't, they, they, they have all those integrator skills Now they're not going to be the visionary, but they're the integrator, but they think they can only be that integrator role or that role within a corporate confines or a company or, or, or more traditional confines, they don't realize that that role is key in entrepreneurship. And so you may not be the visionary or you may not be, be the person who has all the money, or you may not be the person who owns 
you know, you can own 20% of the business, but you would be an entrepreneur as an integrator and still own piece of that business and work with a visionary. And I don't think people even know that's an option. Yes, yes, true, definitely. It's just, you know, they, they are people are conditioned certain way. A lot of it comes from their upbringing. I mean, in your family, obviously, you know, you, you, you were, there was no limits put into your thinking. Uh, it was just a society, right? <laughs> right. It, I mean, it's, you know, self-limiting beliefs, right, come from ourselves, right? So it's, um, I think for me, um, yeah, you know, you just, it's what you're supposed to do, right? I mean, my generation, it's like you're supposed to go to college and then you're supposed to get a job, right? It's, it's you know, it's not, they don't, you know, and, and you're supposed to get a job where you can pay your rent and you can support yourself, right? So, I mean, that's kind of, you know, you're not supposed to go to college and just like, come out with an underwater basket, you know, weaving degree. You're supposed to be able to graduate and pay for yourself, right? So, it's, uh, and I paid for my own college and I paid for my own graduate degree. So, I wanted to go to college. So, um, you know, you I have, a, you were born an entrepreneur. You were independent. <laughs> I was I was born an entrepreneur, but I didn't know it. I didn't know well, it until I was much older. It's the same thing for me. I yeah. didn't know the difference between an entrepreneur and a business owner until right. I was over 40 years old. Right. But as yet, I had by that time I had started already three, four companies. I was just thinking, okay, it's, I'm I just have a business. That's all. But I always had something different, something unique, something. And in fact, I always used to think to myself, what do I call this person that I need to hire who, who's supposed to do this? And I right. would tell people, uh, you know, this is the job. So, well, I don't know. I, I've never heard a job like this. <laughs> so I would create these jobs for people that, that I would have trouble hiring for because I didn't know how to describe it. Right. So, I mean, if you, and I would envy, I would envy like CPAs looking for a bookkeeper. It's so easy. Every, everybody right. knows what a bookkeeper, those who are looking for a bookkeeper knows they're looking for a bookkeeper. That was never the case for me. It's always like this weird process-based stuff. So, uh, yeah, we don't get to find out sometimes ourselves. Right. Uh, Dana, this was great. So tell us, uh, how can people reach you? Give us your contact information. This will all go with your episode, of course. So, uh, but uh, share with us your information. Okay, so our website is um, www.amztailored.com. So it's one word. And uh, my email is just dana.m at amztailored.com as well. So you can reach me either way through our website or you can email me. Great. Thank you, Dana. This was a great episode and uh, I'm sure people will find it very useful. Thank you so much. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of another episode and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate and review our show and be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.